Well, good morning, Southview. How are we? All right. We have a lot of people still milling around and dropping off kids and coming in, but we want to go ahead and get started this morning. Welcome to you all. So glad that you're here today. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview. If you're visiting with us and you're a guest, welcome. We're glad that you're here today. Uh, if you are a guest, just super quick, we would love to connect with you. Best way you can do that is to just grab your cell phone right now at this very second. And text the word CONNECT, C-O-N-N-E-C-T. Text CONNECT to 910-424-1298. We'll send you a link, tap on that, answer a couple of quick questions just so we can know that you're here. We would love that so we can minister to you in the best way possible. But for everyone here, welcome. We're glad that you're here today. We're in the throes of summer. So many people traveling and on vacation, but you're in town and glad that you're here today worshiping the Lord with us. And for you all, I've got three big announcements, all right? Uh, every week we do our big three, big three things we want you to know uh, about what's going on here at Southview so you can stay connected and involved. Number one is this, men's breakfast. We do one about four times a year. We're going to do one August 7th, Saturday, August 7th. Guys, you can sign up for that by texting breakfast to 910-424-1298. Just text breakfast there get you signed up for that second deacon nomination so uh for us the way that we are set up we believe the bible gives two biblical offices for the church pastor and deacon and then gives freedom beyond that for churches to set themselves up how they uh best believe allows them to minister and serve and push forward the kingdom of god so that's what we do here we have the offices of pastor and deacon, and then ministry leaders and things underneath that. But it's time for nominating deacons. Now, if you grew up in a Baptist church, let me go ahead and let you know how we do things here. It may be a touch different than the way you experienced it. For us as deacons, um, our deacons have zero voting responsibility. That's not how they're set up here because we believe that's not how they're set up in the Bible. Uh, deacons are servants. They're ministers. So that's exactly what they do here. Our deacons phenomenal group of men who love Jesus and love you with all of their hearts and how we set it up is we give each of our deacons a set of families and their responsibility is to minister to those families to be the first contact with those families be in touch with them see what's going on and they do an amazing job of that I'm on a texting thread with our deacons and it is almost daily they're sending messages to me and the rest of our deacons Pray for this family, pray for this family, pray for this family. They are plugged in with you, they love you, and they are committed to serving you. And so now it's the time of year for us to nominate some additional men to serve in that capacity. So what we want you to do is just take the month of July and pray. All right, that's all we're asking of you. 
Look over scriptures like Acts chapter 6 and 1 Timothy chapter 3 and just pray about who the Lord may lay on your heart to serve in that capacity and we'll give you some instructions come August about how you can nominate men to potentially serve in that role. But be in prayer this month about who can serve as a deacon here at Southview and continue serving us and our families so amazingly well. And last announcement is this, online giving. When I'm going to encourage you how you can give online, first let me give you a, a, a brief financial update. So we finished the first half of the year, uh, January through June, and uh, giving was fantastic. We're above budget for giving, so praise the Lord for that. Praise God for that. Give yourself, give God a hand for that, seriously. So praise God that he has empowered us to be generous and be able to give. And God has been so gracious to us as a body. And so thank you for that. We want to encourage you in your generosity and your giving. When you give, it's not just for purposeless reasons. We desire, and we'll talk a little bit about it today, to really push forward the kingdom of God. Push forward the mission of God. And we're excited about how God is going to give us more and more opportunities to do that in the years to come. So I want to encourage you to give. Best and easiest way you can do that is to simply download our app, Southview Baptist Church app. You can go to iTunes or Google Play, download the app, and you have on the app a Give tab. Tap on that, and it will walk you through how to give financially. We encourage you to do that. Uh, it's the best, easiest way. If you prefer not to, we've got ways for you to give as well. We've got buckets as you leave. We've got a uh, locked giving box down the office hallway. You can give there if you'd like. So you have multiple ways to give if you'd like to do that. But we encourage online. Uh, you can set that up automatically to just uh, uh, do it every week or month or biweekly, however you want to do it. Uh, we try to make it as easy as possible for you. But we encourage you to do that. Uh, so that you can continue to be faithful to what the Lord has called us to do in giving, and then we as a church continue to be faithful to what God has called us to do in advancing the kingdom of God. But we encourage you to, to definitely do that. But today, as we gather together for worship, I want to read some scripture to you uh, to kind of start off. I want to read Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, this is a scripture that I come back to repeatedly in my own personal life, my own personal prayer life. And then I, I, I share it with you quite regularly because I believe it's, it's the crux of a lot of what we're, we, we're, we're seeking the Lord for. So in Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is praying. He's praying for his church uh, there in Ephesus. And here's what he says, Ephesians 1, verses 16 through 18. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. So for the Apostle Paul, he is speaking into the life of a church there in Ephesus. And they've got a lot going on. If you just read the book of Ephesus, apparently they have false teachers there uh, and uh, that are needed to be addressed and dealt with. Apparently, there's uh, immorality going on. They live in a city that is rampant with all kinds of sin and immorality. Uh, there, apparently, there are marriage issues. There are issues with kids. Uh, there's some division taking place in the church. This group over here and that group over there. And who's going to take the lead? It sounds a little Baptist-like, right? But as Paul is speaking into that, he's going to address those issues. He's going to get into all of that. But it's extremely important. It's not just important about what the Bible says, but when and how it says it. And it's extremely significant that with all of these issues going on, the very first thing the Apostle Paul feels led to do 
is pray. And in chapter 1 of Ephesus, he prays, not that they would stop fighting, or that there wouldn't be division, or that marriages would reconcile, or that kids would stop being crazy. He's going to get into all of that. But his ultimate prayer was that they would have a supernatural understanding of who God is. And if you see who God is, he's going to be empowered to now work out all that other stuff in your life. It starts first with us knowing, having the eyes of our hearts open and enlightened to really see who God is. And brothers and sisters, when you really see who God is, you finally be able to see everything else for what it really is. So I want to encourage you to, uh, to, to bow your heads. Let's pray just for a minute. I want, to, I want to start us off in praying. I want to ask God that he would do this very thing. That he would open up the eyes of our hearts here today. To see him for who he is. And as we see him for who he is, we will then be empowered to see everything else in this world for what it really is. see ourselves for who we really are in Christ, see the struggles and issues around us as for what it really is, not nearly as big and daunting and overwhelming as we thought it was. So Lord, that's exactly what we ask. I pray today that you would give the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of you having the eyes of our hearts enlightened. Pray right now at this moment, all over this room, that the light bulb goes off in our hearts. We see you for who you really are. We are drawn to you. Do this work in us today, Lord, for your glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus.
song today church the name of the song is living God and I love how how scripture speaks of the Lord Lord God of Israel enthroned above the cherubim you are the God I love that he doesn't say you are a God he says you are the God you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth you have made heaven and earth who is like you among the gods Lord who is like you majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders. And so as we sing, church, as we celebrate, we sing of the God, the great I am, the one that created you and created me and sustains all things. Isn't that amazing? We're allowed to speak his name. We're allowed to gather and praise. And so if you belong to Christ today, you have not only a right and a reason to celebrate, you have a duty, the God of holiness, the God of wonders, the God of graciousness, the God of perfection calls you by name. He says, I have called you by name and you are mine. And so we sing of the living God and I pray that he would simply inhabit our praises, that he would heal what's been broken, he would cause the lost to be found righteously worshiped. Let's sing together. I breathe in the presence of the living God. I take in the goodness of your love. I lean in closer to Father's heart, I trust in who you say you are. You are alive, and breathing here in this place, speaking and healing, fullness and glory is right here.
have a seat. Wow, and what an amazing song to, to lead us into a time of prayer. Again, this idea, like we saw earlier, the greatest thing we can do today is to see God for who He is. And singing that, this is who God is. Nothing can hold Him, nothing can stop Him. Therefore, I trust Him. That's why when Jesus was teaching us how to pray, he starts it out by saying, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What he's saying there again, he's setting as the Son of God, Jesus Christ, he's setting his heart and mind towards who the Father is. And he's telling us to do the same thing. Set your heart and your mind to who the Father really is. And when you see him for who he really is, you are empowered in your prayers. You run to him as a good dad who knows you and loves you. One of the reasons our prayers oftentimes are feeble and scattered and oftentimes maybe even feel a little frustrating is because a lot of times we start our prayers focused first on ourselves and our problems and that kind of becomes the mainstay of what we're focusing on and what Jesus is trying to teach us here is no, 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 no. Your focus is to be on who God is. And then from there, present him your request. And as the Lord's Prayer goes on, he, he gets to that. But he starts first with who God is. So let's just bow our heads again this morning. And I wanted to stay in this, this idea this, of, of asking the Lord to fresh show us again who he is. key to you having a fruitful and empowered prayer life is not you learning a better pattern and strategy for prayer. It's having the eyes of your hearts open to see God for who He is, the God that you're praying to. The, the key for, for our worship being spirit-filled and empowered isn't the band playing your favorite song. It's all of us having the eyes of our heart open to see who our God that we're worshiping truly is. The key to, to all of us getting the most out of God's word here in just a moment isn't just me doing a good job teaching it. It's, it's all of us having the eyes of our hearts open to see who this God really is that we're reading about in the word. So let's just take a minute, let's pray in this direction. I want to ask you first to pray for yourself. Right, when you fly on a plane and the flight attendant's giving those announcements and they say, you know, in case of loss of cabin pressure, it's going to see the master going to drop down. If you're traveling with someone who needs assistance, do what? Put yours on first, then help the person next to you. Same thing with prayer. Take just a minute and ask the Lord to open up the eyes of your heart first. Right? Jesus talks about taking the, the plank out of your own eye before we worry about everybody else's speck. Let's, let's start here. Take just a minute and ask the Lord to open up the eyes of your heart so that you can see God for who he truly is. Thank you. 
second, let's pray for the rest of the church. Just us corporately. That God in His grace would allow the eyes of our heart to be open to see God for who He truly is. God, I pray for us as a body that that's exactly what we'll do. God, if anything truly fruitful happens in this time, it'll be because you, Holy Spirit, did the work. We pray that's exactly what you'll do. We pray, God, that you would allow your word to open up hearts, see you for who you really are, be drawn to you. Pray, God, for the things in our hearts that hinder us from seeing you for who you really are, hurt, pain, wounds, bitterness, unforgiveness, unconfessed sin, wrong ideas we were taught about you. All of these things stop us from seeing you for who you really are. I pray, God, that you'll pull down those strongholds here today and allow us, God, to allow your truth to be planted into our hearts so that we can see you for who you really are and be drawn to you. Thank you, God. We trust you for this. We ask that you'll do it. We trust that you will. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Hey, if you got a Bible, let's find Acts chapter 12 together, all right? Acts 12. So, we're working our way through the book of Acts. We've been doing so uh, for all of 2021, and we'll be doing it for a couple of more months. We'll be finishing up really through summer. We'll be done, and come fall, once school starts back up, we'll be rolling into something else. But, but as we're going through the book of Acts, the point of this is for us to see Again, God for who He truly is, and the mission that He's called us on as His church. Right? So in your Bible, there's the word church. It's mentioned just a couple of times in the scriptures. It's the Greek word ekklesia. Uh, this word ekklesia means a called out group of people set on a mission, right? This is a, a, a group that is called out from something else, given a direct purpose and meaning and sent off to accomplish something, right? That's the ecclesia. When, when the Bible talks about the church, that's what it's talking about. When it, when it talks about us being the church, that's what it's talking about. A called out group of people, people called out from this world, placed in the family of God by faith in Jesus and sent off on a mission to push forward the kingdom of God. That's the church, the ecclesia. However, in English, our English word church did not come from ecclesia. Our English word church came actually from a German word, Kirk. And the German word Kirk literally means a place people go to for religious activities. You see the difference? Right? God's plan was for us to be the ecclesia, a called out group of people sent off on a mission of God. And instead we become the Kirk. A group of people that show up at a certain place at a certain time so that professionals can do religious activities for them. 
And what we see in the book of Acts is this is not at all God's intention. And so what we're wanting to do as we go through Acts is to set this right in our hearts so that we can see truly what God's call on the church is. And so as we're doing that, we've been going through Acts. We're going to be today in Acts chapter 12. And our focus today is going to be on the point and purpose of prayer in the mission, all right? So the big idea for today is that God has called us on a mission and that prayer is invaluable to that. Um, a missionary by the name of Samuel Zwimmer, he was one of the pioneers in missions to Muslim people groups in the Middle East. Listen to what Samuel Zwimmer said when it comes to the church and missions and pushing forward the mission of God in prayer. He says, the history of missions is the history of answered prayer. I am convinced that when we stand before God, we will discover that every single soul ever brought to a knowledge of Christ was in some way related to intercessory prayer. Prayer is everything. The key is not a better program or better teaching or a better band or a better children's ministry in order for us to really, truly, genuinely push forward the mission of God in a way that's going to bear out fruit that's lasting into eternity is if it is bathed and driven and empowered and pushed by prayer and prayer alone. That is it. Charles Spurgeon, one of my heroes, said, I would rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. What I want us to see today by God's grace, the power and, 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 and drive that prayer does gives to the church. So let's jump into Acts chapter 12. We're going to see a very strange story in Acts chapter 12, but it's going to point us a little bit into the prayer life of the early church. So we're going to kind of walk through that and then see together what God might have for us. All right, so Acts chapter 12, we're going to pick it up in verse 1, okay? About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So that's James. So if you go through the Gospels, uh, you'll see that Jesus had a, a, so he had his 12, and then he had a group of three that really was close, Peter, James, and John. That James was killed. Herod killed him with a sword, cut his head off. And we see verse 3, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the day of unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring, out, to bring him out to the people. So Herod kills James. Then he arrests Peter, and he puts Peter in maximum security prison, right? He, he dedicates four squads of soldiers just to make sure Peter stays put. Because if you remember, back in earlier in Acts, Peter and John were arrested. And what happens? Right? An angel comes in, and just like a ninja angel comes in and gets them out. And everyone's like, what happened? Where did they go? Like, I don't know. What happened? So Herod's like, fool me once. Me twice, not gonna happen. So he puts four squads of soldiers just guarding Peter. 
Anyone want to guess how that works? Verse 5. So, Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Underline that if you have something in your Bible to underline. We're going to come back to it. That's a big one. But earnest prayer was made for him to God by the church. Verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. Dude, so he had both sides chained up to two guards and then guards outside like this is not going to go bad for Herod. He is convinced I've got this thing. Verse 7. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hands. Quick little side textual note. This is really neat. So, so Peter's in there. He's chained up. Guards all around him. An angel comes in, shines a bright light. It says he struck Peter. This is a, in the Greek, this is a very strong word. In other words, the angel punched him. Which I just like, right? So, ladies, it's kind of like your husband snoring at night, and what do you do? You're like, wow, just knock him. And then he wakes up, whoa, 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 and you try to go back to sleep really quick before he goes to sleep. It's biblical. The angel did that, all right? So he just, the angel just smacks him. He wakes up. Chains fall off. And then what happens? Verse 8. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And he did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. And it opened for them on its own accord. Right? Like you went to the grocery store and the doors just went, whoop. That's what it did. The gate just opened up. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the angel has sent, that the Lord has sent this angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jews were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. All right, so the angel leads him out. He goes out. He goes to this house. A, name, a lady named Mary has a son, John Mark. And, and these aren't apostles, right? These aren't one of the original 12 disciples. These are just normal people in a house praying. I love that. It's just normal people opening up their house praying, right? This is like their, this would be their version of our journey groups, right? The group is together. Peter's in trouble because they're just staying together all night praying. And it's really neat also in verse 12 when it says, many were gathered together and were praying. That tense is a, is a continual action. In other words, they were constantly, continually praying. They were, they were at the middle of the night, but they are still going hard at it. They are praying hard. Verse 13. And when he had knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Love it. Have you ever been so excited you just momentarily stop thinking? Right? You ever had that? Something happened, you're so excited, like, oh, and, you're just, and you go back and go, why did I do that? This is Rhoda. Rhoda comes out, sees Peter. She's so excited. She turns and runs away, leaving him outside. 
Now remember, he's just escaped from maximum security prison on a death sentence. And now he's stuck out on the street twiddling his thumbs like, Rhoda, give me time, Rhoda. Rhoda runs inside, and then look what the people inside did. Verse 15. So she comes in reporting that he's outside at the gate. Verse 15, they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his ghost. Stop for a second. They're praying for Peter to be released. Peter gets released, is standing out the front door. And they think she's crazy or that she's seeing his ghost. They think he's already dead. So, question, have you ever prayed for something, but in all honesty, you didn't really expect that God was going to do it? It's exactly what's happening here. Right? They're together praying for Peter to be released, but if they're honest, they don't really think they're gonna, it's going to happen. They think he's already dead. Verse 16, but Peter continued knocking. I bet he did. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed but motioning to them with his hand to be silent. Shh, seriously, be quiet. Huh? He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. What a kooky little story. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to grab two big ideas from this, okay? Two big ideas. I, I want us to see, number one, what they prayed and number two, how they prayed it, and then what that might mean for us, all right? So what they prayed, how they prayed it, how that applies to us. So first thing, let's look at this. Um, what exactly did they pray? Well, to be honest, we don't exactly know. It doesn't specifically lay out what these Christians on this night prayed. However, we can look back in Acts and see how they prayed in other situations and get an idea, think of what their prayers probably sounded like. So in Acts chapter 4, you go back. Again, remember, Peter and John were in prison. And they were imprisoned. They were threatened. They were beaten. They were told, don't ever speak in this name again. So when the church gathers together, after all that, to pray, look at what they prayed. Acts 4, 29 and 30. They prayed this. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. So what we can see is when they were in a similar situation, they didn't pray for protection, they didn't pray for safety, they didn't pray for blessing. What they prayed for was that they would be empowered to push forward the mission of God even in the face of intense persecution. God, even though their persecution is strong, make us even bolder. And so we can assume if that was their prayer then, it's probably their prayer now. So let's say it like this. The church prayed for the advancement of God's kingdom. Question to think through as we walk through this just for a moment. Just kind of ponder in your mind for a moment. What do you pray for? Like, what, do, what, does, what does your personal prayer life look like? What are the things that you pray for? John Piper, 
has a phenomenal quote about prayer. I want to read it, and I want you to listen. Just listen for it. It's, it's a couple of sentences. Just listen the way Dr. Piper describes prayer. He says, prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. Until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. Prayer is for the accomplishment of a wartime mission. Prayer is a a wartime walkie-talkie, not a peacetime intercom to ask dad to bring you more Pop-Tarts downstairs. But if we're honest, the bulk of our prayers are that. Oswald Chambers, in his wonderful little devotional book, Utmost for His Highest, My Utmost for His Highest, says in there, Many of us come to our devotion times seeking peace and comfort rather than just coming to seek God. What is it that you're praying? This early church prayed for the advancement of God's kingdom. They knew it was God's will for the church to get the gospel to the ends of the earth, regardless of what Herod wanted. They weren't sure what was going to happen. They didn't know if Peter was going to live or die. Uh, Herod already killed one of their leaders. They didn't know if Peter was going to die as well. They had no idea. What they knew was this. God's will, God's plan was for the advancement of the kingdom. No matter who lives, no matter who dies, God's plan was for the kingdom to push forward. So they were on their faces praying that God would give them boldness and wisdom and how to do that. They prayed bold prayers for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Do you do that? When you pray for your family, when you pray for your marriage, when you pray for your church, when you pray for your community, what do you pray? This week, we were uh, at the beach. We just went down for a day just to hang out at the beach uh, as a family. And so we're sitting there on the beach, and uh, kids are playing, they're hanging out, and Marie and I are sitting there, and, and a little bit in front of us, there's a family with a couple of younger kids, and, and they'd been there about the same length of time that we were there, and so... Um, they were, you know, playing and hanging out, whatever, and and so they start to get packed up to get ready to leave, and they do all this stuff to, to pack all their stuff up. And Marie nudges me, and she says, look at that mom. And the mom had the look, the look of, I'm missing a kid, right? She's clearly doing this. Dad's walking up and down. So I jump up, run over there, and I just say, who are we looking for? What are they wearing? Right? 12-year-old girl. Black and white bathing suit. Her name is Paige. Okay. So, what are we doing, right? We're just, we're, we're looking. We're looking. I'm scanning. I'm looking. I'm all over the place. Where's she at? Where's she? I'm, I'm reading the, t- all right, current's moving this way. So, she played. She probably drifted down. So, I'm going to write. So, we're doing the whole deal. Finally, someone yells, got her. So, oh, wow. So, uh, the whole thing probably lasted 15 minutes. But if you've ever been in that spot, it feels like 15 hours, correct? You're thinking every conceivable worst thought imaginable is just running through your mind in, you know, hyperspeed. So find the little girl, 
What happened? Well, said it was time to go. Dad starts taking everything down, takes down the umbrella. Little girl wants to go jump in the water one more time. She jumps in the water. Sure enough, current kind of takes her down a little bit. You know, you never get out where you got in. It always kind of drifts you down. She got out. The umbrella was gone. She couldn't find the umbrella. So she just, she's walking looking for the umbrella. They found her two lifeguard stations down. Why? Her point of reference was gone. So she was just wandering looking. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. I just described your prayer life. Do you feel like you're just kind of wandering aimlessly in your prayers? Do you feel like they're kind of fruitless? You don't really know what you're, what's the point of it? I'm praying because I know I'm supposed to pray, but I don't really know what's accomplished in here. I would submit the reason is this. You lost your frame of reference. Like that little girl lost the umbrella that she was needing to look for, you've lost the mission of God that you need to be looking for in your prayer life. So now you just... You're just randomly throwing darts at a board. You're praying because you know you should pray. But you don't really know what to pray. So you just kind of, Lord bless them. Right? I mean, think about our prayers. I, I love uh, Dr. J.D. Greer. makes such a great point. He says, we waste so much time and energy praying for things that either God's already said he's going to do or things that don't really make a ton of sense. Right? Like, Lord, be with us. He's like, yeah, have you read Matthew 28? I already said I was going to. I will never leave you or forsake you. It's in the book. Right? Lord, give us traveling mercies. Okay, drive the speed limit and don't text. Boom, traveling mercies, done. Lord, bless this food for the nourishment of our bodies. God's like, dude, you ordered a double quarter pounder with cheese. There are some things even I can't do, all right? You can't bless that. Try eating some broccoli. I put some built-in blessings there. I right? just try that for the nourishment of your bodies. It'll work. How much of our prayer lives are just pointless, meaningless, random things thrown on the board? So real quick, just a quick little exercise. Let's think about this for a second. What are the three big things that you pray for? Right? Whatever that is in your life. What are the three big things? Right? Whether it's your kids, or your marriage, or your career, or your church, whatever it is, think about what is it you pray for. Now think about what exactly do you pray in those things? What do you pray for? We pray for our kids to, think about the prayers we pray for our kids. It usually involves comfort, peace, and prosperity, which is great. I mean, I don't, I don't want my kids, you know, desolate living under a bridge. I got it. But how much of our prayers are just focused on things of this world, praying that our kids have a comfortable 85 years here, rather than praying that they would have a fruitful life so they can have an awesome 85 billion plus years in heaven. So much of our prayers are right here. We pray for our churches. God, give us a good day at church today. What's a good day? Like, when nobody got shot, good day, right? I don't know. What are we praying? What I want you to see is, in this, they prayed for powerful kingdom advancing things. And I want to encourage you just one more quick thing as well, and then we'll jump on to the next thing. So often, you'll hear people really try to be super spiritual and say things like, you know, well, you know hey, listen, God's going to do what God's going to do, so we're not even going to pray about that. Or, the point of prayer isn't to change things. The point of prayer is just to change you. 
that's not Bible. Right? That's just flat out not in the Bible. The scriptures are clear on this. Prayer legitimately does things. There are things in this world you do not have solely because you have not asked for them. And, and I know the question, the question is, okay, well, how is it that a God who is totally sovereign and in control of every molecule of the universe and already knows everything that's ever going to happen, how is it that he does things because we pray for them? How does that work? And I've got a really, really simple, easy answer for that. I have no idea. Like literally zero. I don't know. But I know he does. I know he does. How does that work? I don't know. But this is exactly how he works. God is sovereign over all things, and he has sovereignly decided to work through the prayers of his people. What do we pray? And second, not just what we pray, but again, let's look at how they prayed. The church was earnestly praying together. Um, verse 5 says that they were earnestly praying. Verse 12 says, again, that they were continuously praying. They didn't stop. They didn't know what was going to happen with Peter. They didn't know what was going to happen with them. But they knew God wanted to advance the kingdom. And so they were just grabbing a hold to the throne of heaven and refusing to let go until God did something with that. They earnestly, faithfully, continuously prayed. A great scripture that goes along with this, Jesus' teaching, is Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Jesus, in teaching on prayer, says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. These three words, ask, seek, and knock, are in a, a, a Greek verb tense that implies continual action, right? You're constantly asking, you're constantly seeking, and you're constantly knocking. Again, Charles Spurgeon says there's some fruit you have to shake the tree a lot to get down. Sometimes you've got to shake the tree of prayer often. Why is it that God causes you or, or uh, tells you to, to come continuously for something before you get it? Why can't you just ask once and God gets it? Because God is indeed desiring to answer that prayer and also do something in you. He's wanting to build trust. The point is you are trusting your good dad. And so you go continuously asking, continuously seeking, continuously knocking. Think about knocking. It's a great illustration, right? So when you go to someone's house and you're knocking on the door, you just walk up and go, no, right? right? That's not a, right? If you're sitting in your house and you just hear, what in the world is this? Right? No. right? That's a knock, right? By definition, it implies more than one. You're knocking. This is the way that God decide, de describes your prayer life. They were earnestly, continuously praying. Not only that, though, they were praying together, right? Verse 5 says these prayers were given 
by the church. Verse 12 says, many were gathered together and were praying. This wasn't just a one-person thing. They were together praying. As you read through the book of Acts, what we're going to see is there is power happening in corporate united prayer. In Acts 1.14, they prayed together. Acts 1.24, they prayed together. Acts 2.42, they prayed together. Acts 3.1, they prayed together. Acts 4.23-31, they prayed together. In Acts chapter 6, the apostles said, our main mission is to, live, uh, to um, go after the ministry of the word and prayer. And in the context there, they're clearly not talking about just their individual personal prayer life, but leading the church in prayer, there's something about us coming together as a church and praying. This is why we make it a part of every Sunday worship together. We want to find some way for us to be praying together, praying for one another. Because we want to teach one another how to pray as we hear one another pray. And then we believe there's something powerful that happens when we gather together and pray. And it's neat, this story in Acts 12 ends with a couple of little ironic twists. So I won't read it for time's sake, but you have Peter, who is Herod's prized prisoner. He walks out right underneath Herod's nose. Herod is furious. He ultimately kills the soldiers who were a part of the whole thing out of just embarrassment. But then a little bit later, he's giving a speech. And because the people listening want something from him, they kind of prop him up pridefully, right? They know Herod's big thing is his pride, his ego. So they kind of push into that, hoping to get favor from him. So he gives this speech, and then in verse 22, it says, And the people were shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. Listen to this. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. What a horrific way to go. Holy cow. But the word of God increased and multiplied. What's the moral of the story? Don't mess with God's church while they're praying. There is something powerful about the church in prayer. Every single time the church in Acts rallies in prayer, things explode. In Acts chapter 1, they prayed in the upper room for 10 straight days. The Holy Spirit comes, Peter preaches, and 3,000 people get saved. In Acts 4, they pray. God fills them with such boldness that they turn the city of Jerusalem upside down. And by Acts chapter 5, there are over 10,000 people in the church. And some of the harshest critics are getting saved, including the Jewish priest, one of them being ultimately Paul himself. Here in Acts chapter 12, The church prays, God blows up a prison and strikes down Herod, their chief persecutor, with worms. And we've already seen in the next chapter, Acts chapter 13, the church prays, and God uses those prayers to raise up Paul, the greatest missionary Christianity has ever known. What I want us to see, brothers and sisters, is there is unbelievable, unmistakable power the church prays. Samuel Chadwick, I want to read a quote from him. Great pastor, missionary, theologian. Listen to what he says about prayer in closing. Just listen to what he says. The one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. 
He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Prayer turns ordinary mortals into men of power. It brings fire, it brings rain, it brings life, it brings God. There is no power like that of prevailing prayer. Do we pray? I want to challenge you with a few things real quick. Challenge number one. Do you have a regular prayer time with the Lord? Uh, I think it's D.A. Carson who once said, uh, the easiest way to embarrass a Christian is to ask them about their prayer life. (laughs) Do you have a regular time of prayer? I want to encourage you, don't get overwhelmed with it, don't get discouraged with it, but, but seek Him. Just take some time and seek Him in prayer and be thoughtful in your prayers, be biblically focused in your prayers of praying, not just Lord bless them prayers, but, but asking God for wisdom about how to really pray for advancing the kingdom of God in your kids, in your spouse, at work, in your church, in your community. How do you pray? Second challenge. Get involved in a journey group. Uh, I say this because, again, we saw uh, earlier in the text that there was a group of people gathered in a house praying. That was sort of their version of a journey group. A journey group is going to be an opportunity for you to meet with a group of people who are going to pray for you like that group prayed for Peter. Easiest way you can do that, again, is to go to our app. Find a journey group tab on the app. Click on that, and we'll help you find one. Find a group. Get plugged in so that you can consistently have people praying for you and you praying for them. And last challenge is this. I want you to pray about being a part of a 24-hour prayer strategy. What I would love to have for us in our church is that we have 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year prayer. That would involve people in our congregation taking an hour a day and saying, I will devote and I will pray for this hour. We only need 24. My wife and I are two. Oh, we need 22. And I know you're going to sit there maybe and think, pray for an hour? I, I pray for seven minutes and I've already prayed for everyone that I know twice. Right? I can't do it. Not. We'll teach you how to do it. We'll show you. We'll give you an outline. We'll walk you through that. We'll coach you up. But how amazing would it would be? Again, thinking about God works through fervent, earnest, faithful, praying churches. Can they get more earnest, faithful, and consistent than praying literally all the time? What could God potentially do in a church that says, we will devote ourselves to always having a representation from our church before the throne room of God, asking him to move powerfully in us for his glory. How could God use that? I want you to be in prayer for that. I'm going to ask our band to come up as we close. And again, as we've been talking all day long about seeing God for who he is, And letting that be the driving focus. So we're going to end our time here today singing together. A song called We Believe. And what we're doing is we're proclaiming to the Lord who we believe that he is. And as you're proclaiming this to the Lord, I want to encourage you. 
as you're proclaiming who God is, ask Him to empower you in prayer, boldly in prayer, that you would be able to see great moves of His Spirit for His glory. God, we thank You. We thank You that You are so gracious and so kind as to work through the prayers of Your people. It's just a part of Your grace. I ask You, God, that You would empower us as we pray that we would be used by you to see great things happen for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship the Lord together, calling out praise for who he is. We believe. 
show us again who you are and draw us to be men and women in a church empowered greatly in prayer. Thank you. Do this in us for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Have a great week.